It's all right. We'll be in Mark chapter 16, Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. We're going to take a break from our James series today and talk about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And uh, to let us know just how important this is, one writer calls this the linchpin on which all Christianity stands or falls. The Apostle Paul, when he was talking about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, he said this, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So it is impossible for us this morning to overstate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and its prominence in Christianity. This is it. This is the bottom line. This is the most important piece of the Christian puzzle because if it's true, then it's all true. And if it's false, then it's all worthless. But the good news is this morning, it is true. And I want to celebrate that this morning. But what's interesting is where this story begins, it actually does not begin with celebration. It begins with mourning. Let's pick it up in verse 1. It says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. This, of course, would have been early Sunday morning for them. And the fact that they are going to take these spices is both a kindness and also a great sadness. It's a kindness in the sense that this was consistent with how Jews at this time would honor the bodies of their deceased loved ones. They were not like the Egyptians. They did not embalm, and so they would take these spices, go to where the body was, and in this case, they would have had to have the stone rolled away to get in there, and they would have put spices on the body to keep down some of the smell and also to honor the deceased. But this is sad because it shows that they went there fully expecting that Jesus would have been there. And Jesus had told them repeatedly that he would not be there. Mark 8, Mark 10, he told them at, tw at least twice that he was going to rise from the grave. But the darkness of their moment that they were in, the great grief and anguish that they were in, had so shackled their hearts with doubt and unbelief that they were fully expecting Jesus to be there. Now, in addition to that, there was great sadness in the life of these women. Mary Magdalene, for example. This is a woman that we learned at one point, and her life had seven demons inside of her. And you can imagine the physical anguish, the spiritual trauma that she had endured, and also great poverty because no one's going to hire anyone that has seven demons. And now Jesus, her teacher, her healer, her friend, is gone once and for all, so she thinks. Great darkness in her soul that morning. Then Mary, the mother of James. <clears throat> this is another name for the mother of Jesus as well, since James was his half-brother. And you can only imagine what she'd been through in the past few days. She had gone from seeing her son walking about, doing his ministry, to being kangaroo courted, maligned, his beard ripped out, his body torn apart, crucified, and now deceased that morning. You can imagine the darkness, the trauma that she would have experienced that day, the hopelessness she must have felt. But then Salome, the mother of James and John, <coughs> the sons of Zebedee, she would have been someone that, along with her husband, that would have released their sons to go follow Jesus. Matthew 4 tells us that. 
It laid it all on the line from a belief and a fiscal standpoint. And here this morning she comes expecting to decorate the dead body of the person that she had hitched all her hope to. Great darkness in her heart. But it is within that darkness that God often shines his brightest light. And so the first principle that we can take from this story this morning is that the resurrection brings hope to even the most hopeless situation. Whether it's Mary Magdalene, whether it's Mary the mother of Jesus, whether it's Salome, or whether it's us today, no matter what hole we find ourselves in, the grace of God, because of the resurrection, is able to extend a lifeline to us at the bottom of that pit. So if you come here this morning in financial darkness, in relational darkness, in some kind of concern about your own health and some kind of concern about members of your family, all those situations that feel hopeless, there's hope for you because of the resurrection. And the fact that these women (coughs) are included here at all actually tells us a great deal about the character of God. Because at this time in history, women were considered basically pieces of property. They were not allowed to testify in courts of law because they were considered (coughs) so hysterical that they could not be trusted. And the fact that Mark includes their names here is telling us something. One scholar that understands a bit about ancient historiography underscores this fact, and he said what Mark is doing is he is including the names of these women because he is inviting people to go and ask them to verify what he is saying. It's Mark's way of saying, hey, if you need some additional eyewitness other than what I'm giving you, why don't you go talk to Jesus' mom? Why don't you talk to Mary Magdalene? Why don't you talk to Salome? They can verify (coughs) what I have said. So in the midst of their hopelessness, God gives us hope in the resurrection and also hope that this is true. It's verifiable. It is consistent with all the history that was written at this time in this way that it invites This kind of investigation. Now, in addition to that, it shows us something about the heart of God for people like this. You see the same truth (coughs) over in the Christmas story. Because who is the first group of people that learned about the birth of Jesus? It was the shepherds. Much like women, they were also not allowed to testify in courts of law as well, because they too were considered untrustworthy. And here the God of all creation comes and he takes the highest news and he gives it to the lowest people first. And some of us feel that way this morning, don't we? You come here this morning, no matter what kind of week you've had, there are times when we feel completely unworthy. That part's true, we are unworthy. But unworthy to the point that maybe God would have nothing to do with us. Maybe we'd sin so far, maybe we are such an outcast that surely God is done with us. There's nothing else he would say for our lives. Friends, let the character of God revealed by his revelation to these women remind you that that's just not true. That the hope of the resurrection can extend even to your particular hopeless feeling this morning. God has a word for you through this passage. God has a word for you through the resurrection because the resurrection brings hope to the hopeless. Now look at verse 2. 
Very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, he went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away this stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? And the concern that they had there was very real. You've probably seen pictures and reenactments of this. It would have been a very large circular stone weighing thousands of pounds, and it had been hewn from very dense rock and rolled into place and now guarded by soldiers. And so again, their expectation would be Jesus was there and someone was going to have to help them get into that tomb. But what they find there is quite the surprise. It says, and looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. That word alarmed is only used right here in the New Testament. The compound verb used to express strong fear and agitation. And I love what happens at verse 6. It says this, and he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. So in addition to the resurrection offering hope to the hopeless, second principle, it also addresses our fear and our questions. God didn't have to comfort their hearts this morning. In fact, God didn't even have to make them aware of the resurrection, but he does both, and he does it in this shining and amazing way. He sends his angel. He directly communicates to them <coughs> that Jesus is not there. And again, I think this speaks to our hearts today as well, doesn't it? We live in an age of great fear. So many things to be afraid of today. Could be COVID, could be inflation, could be personal difficulty, could be political instability. And yet God comes and he says to us, like he said that morning, do not be alarmed. And why is it that we can avoid being alarmed? It's for the same reason that they could. Because he was not there. He is risen. And friends, if Jesus were still in that tomb this morning, then we should be afraid. We should be extremely afraid. Because there would be no hope. We would be in this life on our own, all alone. But because he is alive, now we are never alone through the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. And I love also what this shows about the character of God insofar as he invites their investigation. He says, see the place where they laid him. Christianity is not about blind faith. It is about faith in true, actual, factual history. And as we investigate this, and I've spent a lot of time doing this over the years, there are numerous theories of what could have happened that morning. And I am fully convinced, both from information inside the Bible and outside the Bible, that this actually happened. Because if we aren't going to believe this, we have to come up with some alternate explanation. And some of the best of what the world has to offer are things like this. Well, we just know these kinds of things don't happen. Okay, well, I've never seen love. I've never physically, tangibly held love in my hands, but I believe that it's real. So there are things beyond what we can see and know. But this is something 
that we can actually even see and know. Now, we're not there 2,000 years later, but the explanations for this are kind of like that one. Some would say, well, Jesus swooned. That's actually what it's called, the swoon theory, that he was beaten, that he was killed, that he was crucified, that he died. And then somehow, after all of that, he wasn't actually dead. He just got up after really faking it and everybody confirming that he was dead. And he pushes this massive multi thousand pound stone out of the way he takes over these guards in some kind of ancient batman routine and then he sneaks away friends i'm going to go with the bible before i go with that and when you think about some of the other explanations there's another one uh, that basically the disciples that somehow after completely dispersing that they pulled it together after fearing for their lives and denying jesus in profound ways They come together, and they show up, and they pull a, not Batman this time, but rest of the Justice League, and they take out the soldiers and roll away the stone. Guys, I just don't have that kind of faith. I'm going to have to go with what the Bible says. Because there's not a plausible explanation that is better than the truth. And then when you think about all of the light and life that Christianity brings, and you think about our own personal experience with God himself, time after time after time, we are led back to the reality of the resurrection. But I think beyond that, the fact that the angel says to them, come and see where he lay, that communicates something profound about the character of God. He's not trying to hide it. He's not even saying, don't take a look. He's saying, investigate. It's true. And then when you see the, the, the same thing with Jesus after his resurrection, when he comes and he tells Thomas, look, feel the holes in my hand. Feel the place in my side. That communicates something significant about the character of God. It shows us the truth of Scripture, and it says that true and authentic Christianity can stand up to scrutiny. And maybe if you're here today and you would say, you know, I I get that, but I still got questions, I totally understand. But let's start with the central piece. Because if this is not true, then what is? What is the alternative for what has happened both that day and in all the days since? And if you want to dialogue about some of those secondary questions, this is the kind of church where we would love to do that with you. We just need to know. Grab me after the service. We'll pair you up with somebody, and we will work through those as best we can. We're not about blind faith here. We're about faith-seeking understanding that begins with the resurrection. Now, let me also say this. Because this is true, there are many, many other things that are true. Let me give just a couple of examples here. First of all, it means that Jesus himself and everything else he said is entirely trustworthy. Because Jesus, many times, at least two that I pointed out here, but there were many other times when you synthesize the Gospels together, where Jesus forecast his own death and he said, here's what's going to happen. There's one time he referred to himself as a temple. He said, you're going to destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Many other examples. And so when that came to pass, and then he forecast, I will come back to life. And then that comes to pass. 
Well, then you look at the rest of it, and if he can be trusted about this, perhaps the most audacious claim of Christianity, then surely he can be trusted about everything else he said and did as well. Take the next ripple out. Well, if we can trust Jesus, and Jesus trusted the Bible, well, we can also trust the Bible as well. Because there are many times throughout the Scriptures, you start in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, exactly what has happened here, that there would be a great snake crusher that would come, and he would die and he would rise, points to this event. Think about what Isaiah said about the suffering servant, about his uh, uh, forecast that there would be a Messiah that would come and suffer and die and then rise again. Guess what? This is him. And then you look forward in the New Testament and all the writings pointing back. It all points to the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. So what Jesus has said is true and he can be trusted. What the Bible said is true and it can be trusted. And then you think about all of the implications that this has for us. We could preach many, many sermons on this. Let me give you just a couple here. Because the resurrection is true, it means that we can be forgiven for our sins. Because if Jesus did not rise again, we could not. That's what Paul is getting at in that statement that I made at the beginning of the message. That if Jesus did not rise, you are still in your sins. Your faith is futile. Because it's one thing... To die, but it is a completely different thing to rise. And what some theologians talk about here, they call the the resurrection the exclamation point at the end of Jesus' sentence, it is finished. And so what this does is it shows that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice for our sins and and, 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 uh, resurrected him to prove that that sacrifice was good enough. So we can have forgiveness because Jesus is alive. And you think about all the interpersonal implications here, the sense of community that we have with one another that goes beyond the natural into the supernatural is because of the living Christ. We don't gather together just to talk simply about what God did way back then. Part of why we gather is to talk about what God is still doing now. That he is bringing those truths to bear now. Our lives are changing now because Jesus is alive. Not because he was a trusted historical figure way back then. He's alive now. Let's think about one more. Our own forthcoming resurrection. For those who are in Christ, we will get new bodies someday. And the reason we will get that body is because of this body that came back to life. See, Jesus was raised as a first fruits of the new creation, the kind of body that he had. We won't have exactly the same, of course, but it will be similar in nature. That is because of the resurrection. So when you think about its truthfulness, you think about how God invites our investigation of it, when you think about all of the implications of it, we go from hopeless to hopeful. We go from fearful to courageous. We go from dead in our sins to alive in the risen Christ. And that gives us hope this morning. And hope not just for someday, but hope for today. And let me tell you something, we need it. And there's a guy in this story that really needed it that day too. Look back at verse 7. 
So the angel speaks to the ladies that morning, and he says, But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out, and they fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Third and final principle. The resurrection brings hope for both the fallen and the future. Let's talk about the fallen first. And let me just say, as we get into this, one of the things I love about the Bible is that it always keeps it real. It always tells you the truth. Because Peter here, if you know his story, is the one who failed just about as royally as anybody ever could in the history of success and failure. Jesus basically gave him one job. Stay with me. Do what I say. Teach other people. Okay, I got this. I'm going to be with you till the end. I'm there all the way to the end. And then right there at the end, where is Peter? Well, he's not with Jesus. He's cursing. He's denying that he knows Jesus, and he's hiding somewhere. And I think that part of the reason why he is singled out here is because he felt the guilt and the shame that came from that failure. And let me tell you something. We don't want to admit this, but all of us can relate to Peter more than we wish that we could. There's not a one in this room that has not failed the Lord in some significant or insignificant to us way this week. We know guilt. We know shame. We know that feeling of condemnation. And in the same way that the resurrection brings hope for Peter, it brings hope for us. Because the grace of God is stronger than your greatest failure. The hole that you either put yourself in or somehow you fell into in some other way, the ladder of the grace of God can still reach it. Because Jesus is alive. He is alive. And when he singles out here, tell the disciples and Peter in his own way, he's also saying that to us. Make sure they know. Make sure that they know that he's going on to Galilee. He can be trusted. He will follow through on what he said. And oh, when we find out eventually when Peter hears the good news, as the other gospels tell us, he has no trouble telling everybody else eventually. But there's another sense in this passage that I think that we would be wise to point out to. Look back in verse 8 here. Another way the Bible keeps it real. What you would think and what you would hope that this passage would say is that the women were all immediately excited and they were high-fiving each other and they couldn't wait to tell everybody. And what do you have? Uh, they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. We know what that's like. We know what it's like to have people in our lives that we want to talk to about Jesus, and for whatever reason, just that, that fear keeps us silent. We can relate to this. But let me give you some good news from their story. Now, Mark doesn't give it to us here, but the other gospel writers do. They did pull it together, and they did tell Peter, and they told the other disciples, and then the good news is out, and here we sit 2,000 years later. We need to go to God with our fear. We need to go to God with our reticence to speak. And we need to say, Lord, help us 
talk about you in the same way that you helped those women and Peter so long ago. And you know what? He will. He will fill our mouths with the testimony of what he's done for us and what he's done through Christ. And it's also interesting here, many people believe that this actually is, is probably the original end of the Gospel of Mark. You probably see a note about that in your Bibles. And what is possibly happening there is that Mark is inviting the reader into the story and also into being carriers of that story. That it's a literary device, and he's saying, just like these ladies went and told, you guys need to go tell as well. Go into all the earth and preach the gospel and make disciples. And so I think we need to hear that as well. That there's a call to us to go and do likewise. To take the good news of the risen Jesus to the world. And so when you package all this together, I think we need to start thinking about, so what does this mean for me today? And here's the honest reality. There's two types of people in this room right now. There are people that have embraced the risen Christ and he has embraced them and those who have not yet done so. And friends, this is as real and as true and as spiritual reality as it gets. Those who have embraced Christ, their lives are not going to be perfect. They're going to be messy like everybody else. But there's going to be an underlying peace and purpose, and eventually heaven for those who have trusted Christ. And for those who have not, that's not the path that they're on. The path that they're on ultimately leads to a real place called hell. And part of the wonderful news of the gospel message and the resurrection is that that can be avoided. And the first response to a message like this of the reality of the resurrection is to believe it. It's to turn from our sins and trust in the Lord Jesus. It's to transfer the leadership of our life over to Christ. Does that mean all your questions are going to immediately evaporate? It does not. But it means that you answer the most important question and that you embrace Jesus who is coming to embrace you through the preaching of the gospel. And if that stirs something within your heart today, maybe even something unexpected, then friend, I would encourage you to pull that thread this morning. Stop trying to save yourself. Stop trying to simply be good enough. You can't be. None of us can be. Trust in the full and finished work of Jesus and let Him save you. And if that is stirring in your heart today, when the rest of us take communion, you hold off but instead you take Christ, and let's talk about that today. Let's talk about you putting your faith and trust in Jesus. Let's talk about any of the obstacles and questions you might have about it. Again, we want to journey with you to sort this out. But it is a sorting that has eternal consequence of heaven and hell, of peace and purpose and meaning and wandering and lostness. Now, for those of us who've made that turn, friends, we need to celebrate this. We need to celebrate everything that is in this passage and so much more. We need to celebrate the hope that is now ours, no matter what our hopelessness. 
We need to celebrate the character of a God that cares about our fear, that invites our questions, that also sends us out to the world with the good news of the resurrection. We need to bring him whatever brokenness we have and know that he will minister to it in some way because he is alive. That there is hope because he is alive. So this would be the question that I want to close with. What's God saying to you through this passage? What is the particular response that he's calling for for you based on your situation through this passage? Maybe it's one of the examples that I illuminated. Maybe it's something that we didn't even touch on. But whatever it is today, let's move toward the Lord Jesus as he is moving toward us through the good news of the resurrection. Let's make some time now in prayer for that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful good news, how the resurrection speaks to all of our issues, whether we need to be saved or whether we need to deal with something in our hearts. Lord, we thank you that that is all possible because you are indeed alive. Lord, I pray for those who may have questions today. I pray for those who are struggling and discouraged today. I pray that the hope of the resurrection would enliven their hearts. And Lord, we thank you for this time that we have to celebrate communion, to remind us where this all points. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.